Welcome to the Professional Ag Marketing Podcast. If you want a deep dive into the ag markets and risk management strategies, your search is over. Come here after every Friday to get your weekly commodity recap. Trading commodity futures and options involves substantial risk of loss and is not suitable for all investors. This is your host, Mike Miner. Let's get started. Today is April 29th. In today's podcast, we are going to take a deep dive into the bird flu topic. Cases have surged in the United States, causing things like egg prices to rise. To inform us on the matter today, I am honored to have on Dr. Schaefer and Dr. David Reeves with us. To Dr. Schaefer there, he is a senior director in poultry technical services at Zoetis, and he's leading a team in uh, providing support to all sectors of the poultry industry. And Dr. David Reeves is a senior technical services uh, that specializes in turkeys. So thank you for coming on the show with us today. Uh, We're really excited to have you on. Glad to be here. Great to be here. Well, uh, please take us through a little bit of an intro on, uh, uh, tell us more about the deadliest bird flu outbreak we've had in the past seven years here, and uh, just kind of tell us a little bit about what we're dealing with. Okay, I, I guess I'll take that one, uh, Mike. Um, so this outbreak in, began um, in the probably February time frame. Of course, we were getting uh, reports of isolations of viruses um, of, in wild, wa- in waterfowl. Um, earlier in the year, and, uh, and predictably, it broke in commercial flocks um, shortly thereafter. Um, the, um, the the number of birds affected uh, obviously is changing because this outbreak has not yet uh, run run its course. Um, currently, and these, like I said, these numbers change over time. the uh, The totals are something like twenty six million layers um, have been affected. Uh, about uh, 4 million turkeys and about 2 million um, broilers. And just to put some uh, uh, context in that, um, that represents about 7% of the layer population and about 3% of the turkey population um, so far. And, uh, you know, we're, um, we're seeing um, uh, somewhat of a similar type of outbreak in many respects to, to our 2015 outbreak um, in geographic distribution and, and and so forth and the types of birds affected but over but just in general terms that's what we're dealing with currently nice so you talked about a few of the numbers there uh, ge- geography wise uh, what areas are getting hit the hardest here i know iowa's had a lot but uh, where do you see this occurring yeah, I'll take that one, John. Uh, primarily, Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, that's the area that's that's hardest hit this time. And it was the area that was hardest hit back in 2015 as far as, uh, you know, the number of premises and the number of birds um, mm-hmm. that had to be destroyed. Yeah. Now, you... you- compared this to 2015 a couple of times there. How is this compared to 15 uh, from an aspect of, um, you know, the the airways? I know they've talked about how, like, uh, in 2015, 52 million birds were euthanized. Uh, this is all in all three airways, or how is that working compared to 2015 with what we saw then? Yeah, I think uh, this time there have been more flocks affected in the Atlantic area, and there have been some uh, some wild bird detections uh, in the Pacific area. The central, the Mississippi Flyway, 
is still the one that's the most heavily affected. It's, you know, that area there, Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, there are an awful lot of lakes in those areas and the, a lot of waterfowl tend to congregate there on their way back north for the breeding season. And uh, as long as they hang out in that area, we'll probably still pick up a few positive farms for another at least month or two. So, so Mike, it's, it's very similar to what we saw in 2015 as it relates to commercial flocks. I mean, in 2015, the Pacific Flyway had a few um, cases reported and there were virtually none in the Atlantic Flyway. Um, but when you look at it on a macro level, it's still that Mississippi Flyway in the areas that David just um, uh, mentioned being where everything seems to be concentrated. The pace at which um, birds are being affected, you know, 52 million and 15, but uh, we're at about 26, like you mentioned there um, earlier. It, it seems like it's occurring a lot faster, though, in the process. Do you have any um, any idea on what the end game is here, uh, when this will kind of get cut off on a timeline, and how bad is this really going to get? Uh, David, you can take that one since it's such an easy question. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you just look at the at the cases by week, you know, they it sort of peaked at the first of April, and there've been fewer detections each week since then. Okay. And so, you know, one way to look at it would be to project that it's going to continue to decrease through May and and probably into June, with the last case hopefully showing up around the first of July. Just if you if you overlaid the curves, 2015 versus 2022, that's what I would expect to, to see. And it really, like I mentioned before, it depends on when those migratory birds decide to go ahead and move north into the areas where they tend to uh, to breed. I I will say that um you know David is his projections are based on historical experiences. There's always an outlier um, possibility that this thing doesn't go away and it drags on well into the summer. I mean, if you listen to um, many of the USDA APHIS webinars that they, they that they uh, have on this topic, um, they'll, uh, they'll always allow for that possibility to also occur. So how, how is your industry handling this from a perspective of are they euthanizing the flocks that have it, the surrounding areas? How are they tackling that to try to um, minimize damages? You know, compared to 2015, I can say that we're doing a much better job controlling this, this, um, this outbreak. Um, in 2015, we saw a lot of farm-to-farm transmission, uh, indicating that there was probably a lack of sufficient biosecurity uh, going on. And also, we weren't as quick to uh, euthanize the flocks. That's a key component of control is being able to quickly euthanize these flocks and, and give the virus as little opportunity to spread as possible. And so what we're seeing mostly in this case is, um, and there's a few exceptions, of course, but mostly we're seeing index cases, which means that it's mostly wild bird origin to commercial flocks instead of commercial flocks to commercial flocks. Hmm. So, um, you know, there's there's a limited amount of uh, measures you can take in, in many cases to to um, completely eliminate these wild bird introductions. But but we have, I think, clearly demonstrated that uh, we've managed to minimize the amount of farm to farm transmissions. 
Yeah, I agree, John. And that's definitely a very valuable lesson that we learned back in 2015 is that once you know a farm is positive, the sooner you can euthanize those birds and get them either in the composting process or buried or however you're going to dispose of them, the better off everybody is because those positive birds are producing that virus at a tremendous rate and it just uh, allows for a lot of spread from one place to another that really doesn't need to occur. And the local authorities as well as the USDA have been very cooperative in terms of allowing people once they get that initial uh, presumptive positive uh, to go ahead and start that process that'll usually be confirmed within a couple of days by the national lab out in Ames, Iowa. But that presumptive positive, it, once you notify the proper authorities and get the okay, you can go ahead and, and start that depopulation process and prevent that spread from farm to farm. Are there any other ways uh, people can fight this with vaccines in the future? Or what are you guys working on, uh, I guess, in your industry with uh, all this occurring? What are you learning uh, from more of a medical perspective? The numbers are obviously disturbing, what we've been discussing far, which is um, a lot of turkeys and a lot of layers relative to the total population of these commercial flocks out there. But the, but the truth of the matter is broiler birds, which are mainly raised in the deep south, um, are, are represent just so many more, su- such a larger business in these two sectors. It, it dwarfs it, really. And to date, um, there hasn't been that many um, infections, if any, reported in, in the, deep, the deep south uh, in commercial flocks. And so um, vaccination is... Is a process is a measure that a lot of countries take who absolutely can't control this virus, and it's a kind of a last resort um, measure um, because what it what it does most most uh, avian influenza vaccines will prevent the infection from killing the birds and prevent symptoms or clinical signs, but it may not prevent the birds from still cycling the virus. And uh, and passing it on to another to to other flocks, you still have what we call leakage or shedding of the virus through the vaccine. And so, what this allows the virus to potentially do is to recombine with other virus strains out there and create even more virulent strains. And it also, um, and in which you know, in a in a very remote case, could be potentially um, infectious to people if if the right virus got loose. And secondly, um, if once you start vaccinating, it's harder to monitor flocks for which ones are vaccinated versus which ones um, uh, have a, uh, a wild type infection. And then the last thing is it really hurts your export markets whenever you um, whenever you start to vaccinate flocks because the monitoring becomes so much more complicated in being able to determine what's a real infection and and what's a uh, um, a vaccine rea- a vaccine uh, re- um, response to vaccine. So, um, so that's kind of the uh, a very general overview of, of how this thing um, plays out relative to vaccination. Yeah. The bottom line is the chances of uh, vaccinating all the poultry here in the U.S. anytime in the near future is very slim. Is, is yeah. there a reason the Deep South isn't getting it? 
compared to the North? It's purely speculative. I'd imagine it's just the wild, the wild game, wild um, waterfowl population uh, doesn't really like it in, in weather that hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they stay up there in Minnesota and Iowa and there as well. That's right. We've talked about um, the end game now, and uh, let's talk a little bit more about the future with just repopulation with these flocks taking a hit. How long does it take this industry to repopulate? David, you want to take that one? Well, I tell you, from the, the turkey standpoint, and even on the broiler uh, chicken type facilities, it's not that long of a process as long as you have the chicks and poults available to come back in with. To Once you determine a flock is positive, if everything goes the way it's supposed to, it should take roughly six weeks before that farm is okay to repopulate. And, you know, again, the USDA has, has worked really well with the industry, and uh, it's to the point now where even, um, even farms that are within uh, the 10-kilometer control zone around an infected premises uh, those farms that aren't directly in contact with that infected premises but are within that 10-kilometer uh, control zone can actually re- repopulate before that control zone is lifted. And that didn't used to be the case. So um, in the face of this outbreak, the industry can actually come back in and repopulate areas sooner than they would have been able to back in 2015. The big problem is with the commercial egg producers uh, in terms of repopulating one of those several million bird complexes. It just takes a while to do that. It's it's not going to happen in any short period of time. Yeah. And one of the reasons for that is that, um, you know, for every, for every um, layer pullet, let's call it a, com- a pullet intended to be a commercial laying hen, you've got to hatch that from an egg, right? And the birds that lay those eggs are parent flocks, and there's not but so many of them out there. So if you've deep, if you've euthanized, um, you know, 10% of the of the national flock, you just can't repopulate farms uh, overnight, even if they even if the the facilities were cleaned and ready to go. There's just not the there's just not the, uh, the the day-old chicks available to place in them uh, because the breeder stock is not is not that is not that large is not sufficiently large to to accommodate that kind of um, uh, placement in a short period of time. So as we wrap up today's show, uh, just last question here, I'd probably say, uh, what does this mean for the poultry industry now and going forward? I guess as you guys have some final comments. Well, I did see one projection from USDA uh, in terms of the turkey market, and they project that, you know, production was down a little bit in the second quarter of this year, but they project a decrease in production of about 4.5% in the third quarter and a little over 3% in the fourth quarter. So there will be an impact on, uh, on turkey production. And, you know, the price of breast meat has gone from $4 back in February up to like five fifty now and may even go above. In 2015, I think the highest was like $5.85 a pound, but it may surpass that by the time things kind of bounce back. Yeah, 
and long term, you know, I think this is, uh, I mean, we get better at controlling this virus uh, year over year um, because we have more sophisticated diagnostics. We, we know how to practice biosecurity and we get better at the, um, at the uh, depopulation and, uh, and control of the virus. Um, so I think this is going to be a problem we're going to probably be living with uh, sporadically uh, going forward. Um, you know, to date, the, the, like I said, there's 9 billion broilers approximately produced every year in the United States, and only 2 million have been affected, primarily because, as we discussed, they're in the Deep South. Um, so that part of the production is pretty much unaffected other than the states where we've had some some breaks um, get put on an export ban for until they clean up the the flocks. But uh, but the uh, the current the current approach of uh, of um, euthanizing affected birds um, and uh, and then repopulating after the premises have been determined to be clean um, is still the best approach for the U.S. It protects uh, adjacent flocks um, and and protects the uh, the livelihoods of people who um, who are uh, you know in this in this uh, type of production scheme, and uh, for the foreseeable future, um, we see that as being the uh, the measure of choice, at least for the U.S. Yeah, and one one bright spot in this whole thing is that uh, during the 2015 outbreak and into this outbreak, the cooperation between the industry and the USDA and the local uh, regulatory folks has has really improved and i think uh most places now have it down pretty well and can get things going and and get that depopulation process started a lot quicker than we were able to in the past and it makes the whole thing go a lot more smoothly great stuff today guys we appreciate your time so much and uh hopefully we'll have you on the show another time as well but we appreciate it thank you Thank you. Thank you.